0: my happy song to get me going today. I've been wrestling with my inner perfectionist who's insisting I nail every detail of this episode before I record it. And the other bit of me that's going, stop being so neurotic. What's the worst that can happen? Someone disagrees with you? So to relieve the tension, I dance like a deranged elephant in my pyjamas and hope the neighbours went up early enough to see me. Which brings me to the topic of the day the tension between the opposites. Everywhere you look, there are opposing truths about COVID-19, why it's here, what caused it, and what's going to happen. It's confusing and it's stressful. And I'm going to go in search of a bit of mystic wisdom to work out how to surf the wave of this pandemic and not get drowned in its tensions, which are still giving me headaches. Although that could also be all the extra chocolate I've been eating this is all the mystics and me where the physical the psychological and the magical all join up welcome to episode two what's the truth my name is henry lang i used to be an epidemiologist but now i'm a therapist and i've been a long-time advocate of the mystics In my last episode, I talked about the young female mystic Julian of Norwich, who not only survived but thrived in the worst pandemic in human history. She seemed like a good place to start. And thank you to Will, Megan, Maya, Dan and my family for listening and giving me great feedback. There seemed to be some confusion as to what a mystic is, so I'll address that too. The main topic of the day, though, is the craziness of conflicting information on COVID-19 the need to understand what is happening and the itch to uncover the future. I'll be exploring how we can use our subtle senses to see how this affects us and I'll ask what the mystics can offer with a bit of help from the psychiatrist and mystic Carl Jung. If you're not sure what a mystic is, there are several reasons to be baffled. One reason is the root miss, as in M-Y-S, is at the start of the words mystic and mystery. Interpretations of the Greek root of the word conflict. It seems it has two given meanings, one to conceal and the other to reveal. A classic paradox and a beautiful piece of synchronicity given the topic of this episode. I have a hunch I know why this is, but for now I've borrowed... From a chap called Deepak Chopra. Mystics are individuals who've made it their life's work to cultivate truth, goodness, beauty, love and compassion and also intuition, creativity and insight by which values human beings experience a sense of wholeness that has nothing to do with circumstances, creeds or religious dogma. Their discovery is that we all have the means of accessing these qualities in ourselves, if we know how. And it's not about wearing hair shirts and trying to be good. This was, in my humble opinion, the overlay of religious doctrine. Mystic knowledge was considered secret because human life is full of distracting drama, and unless someone inducts us or shares their understanding with us, hence the two conflicting meanings, we might never become aware of it especially as the words compassion, goodness, truth evoke images of saints and virgins that most of us can't hope to attain to. Mystic findings have often been at odds too with the creeds of the day, whether they are the church or market capitalism that wants us to strive for things like salvation through God or salvation through lifestyle. Mystics don't strive. So what is it, this knowledge, that mystics are supposed to have discovered? Well, it's subtle like you know you felt compassionate creative had strong intuitions that have been really helpful but you put the cause down to being circumstantial or random a flash of intuition is just lucky a moment of compassion is because you were having a good day you know those aspects are there but in your experience you only come across them accidentally or in certain conducive circumstances they're not there to be called up when you want them And if you did, you'd have to work really hard wearing hair shirts and saying Hail Marys, sitting cross-legged for long periods, do more yoga or just get lucky. The mystics were ordinary men and women who discarded the social and religious conventions of their times in order to focus on the problem. What gets in the way of having those experiences all the time? What they discovered is built into the hard drive of human consciousness, is an inner home where compassion, intuition, and love are abiding residents. They discovered that by training our attention and developing our awareness, we can return to this inner home, this safe location at any time. We've just forgotten. And the dramatic narratives of the day, find God or you'll be cast in hell, or if you're not enjoying a fabulous lifestyle, there's something wrong with you, distract us from ourselves which have come complete with all those qualities. What they didn't do was trumpet their findings as the way, because all mystics abide by the triple A's. Acknowledge, accept and allow. I'll explore this more as we go along, but this coda kind of mitigates against giving advice or direction which is a profoundly freeing experience if you've ever had the good fortune to meet a true mystic. Every age and culture has its own. There are plenty of modern ones, too. The fascinating thing is that regardless of which century or religion or culture they belong to, the same themes emerge. They're often better known for their day jobs, as hermits, scientists, philosophers, psychologists, poets, and they even appear in blockbuster movies as Gandalf and Yoda. And since these last two are written by screenwriters... It just goes to show that you don't have to be a special person to access mystic wisdom. That's another mystic reveal. All the wisdom we need hides in plain sight. It's not complex or difficult. It's all present and correct at all times. We just have to learn which direction to send our attention. Let's start by defining the problem we want the mystics to help with. What we'd all like to know is, what is the truth about COVID-19? How deadly is it? How many will die? Is it a big, uncomfortable wave that will pass? Or is it an apocalypse that's going to bring an end to life as we know it? Here's a classic paradox. Two versions of the truth, only one which can be true, and no prospect of resolution. And as if that wasn't bewildering enough, there's the conflicting interpretations of the different government responses. Look, the Germans have it. The Swedes. But oh no, they're just behind the curve. Turns out deaths are mounting there too. And what about our government? Have they overreacted? And is lockdown causing more deaths from other causes? Or did they just do too little too late? Then there's the shadier stuff. COVID-19 is a biological weapon that got out of the lab. And what about the link with electromagnetic radiation, given that Wuhan was the first fully smart city? And then there's all the stuff about links between animal exploitation, farming and pandemics. It goes on and on. Oh, it's no wonder I have headaches. If 0.1% of us have a virus right now, the rest of us have a headache. Once upon, quite a long time ago, I was an epidemiologist, someone who studies the causes and spread of disease, a super fascinating subject. I recommend studying it. One of the first things you learn is it's very easy to arrive at erroneous conclusions. For example, soon after the Samaritan started, this is the charity that was set up to support people who were suicidal, the number of suicides in the UK actually started climbing steadily. Everyone ran around trying to work out how the Samaritans could be causing suicide until some bright spot plotted the rise in suicide against the rise in numbers of gas ovens being installed in people's homes and found an exact match. So it turns out the suicides were just getting easier and that's why there were more. Sorry, that was a grim example, but you get my point. How easy it is to arrive at a wrong conclusion. I got a master's at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, which is kind of the mother of all schools of public health. I can't claim my skills of data analysis of what they were, but the fundamentals are still there. There are some golden rules I still try to abide by. Observe before interpret. Identify verifiable facts. And whatever you do, do not make a drama out of a crisis. I dutifully put on my best epidemiological wetsuit and dived into the ocean of data with the aim to come up for you with the verifiable facts about coronavirus in plain English. I realise after all this statistical diving, that's not the answer. We can talk about numbers and risk all we like, But it won't solve the problem, because we're all just scared. Fear is way more contagious than any known virus. And in a 24-7 news round of death and disaster... No offence to the media, they're just doing their job. Well, it doesn't matter what the numbers are. Everywhere we turn, all we hear about is death and disaster. So it's impossible not to be frightened. And even if we can't admit to being frightened, I'm prepared to bet that 99.9% of us feel disturbed somewhere in our psyches. I could give you a full statistical analysis of the data in the plainest English I can muster, but I have a feeling I'll have just added to the confusing wheel of conflicting information that just sums this whole thing up. So I decided not to offer just another construct of the facts and stick to addressing the feelings, which can be known, but I did find one verifiable fact that's worth putting forward, I hope. What we do know is that this virus is only weeks old. If it was a baby, we'd still be counting its age in weeks. It's that new. We just don't know yet how this baby's going to develop. People make guesses and speculate, but no one knows because it's simply too soon. That's why different countries have taken different approaches, because no one knows. It's not necessarily that it's so dangerous compared to other health risks that we do know about. It's just that it's so unknown, The truth will only emerge at some time in the future. So on the top we have a problem that we don't know what's going to happen. But the deeper problem is that we struggle to live with that reality. As human beings we like to know things, predict things, know where we are. Our brains have been programmed to spot the tiger in the bushes so we can run for safety. But to use an appropriate metaphor, we don't know if we're running from a tiger or a pangolin. We think if we keep looking we'll find it. But all we end up doing is locking our focus onto what distresses us, the unknowable. How feel you? Cold, sir. Afraid, are you? No, sir. See through you. We can. Be mindful of your feelings. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Mm. Afraid to lose her, I think. Hmm? What has that got to do with anything? Everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. As any mystic will know, Yoda is directing Anakin to pay attention to his subtle senses, which will guide him to the very attributes that I referred to in my earlier definition to compassion, intuition, creativity. Anakin's physical senses tell him that he's cold. That is useful, of course, if he's to avoid frostbite. But it won't tell him if Darth Vader is around the corner. Yoda directs Anakin to pay attention to his subtle senses so that he can access the qualities he will need to defeat the Sith. Subtle senses include our perceptions of emotions, moods, connections, motivations, directions... So while our gross senses will help us locate the car keys, they won't help us work out whether someone is a friend or foe. So taking Yoda's advice, what do we find if we pay attention to subtle senses with regard to the uncertainty problem? I reckon what we find is that the search for information is a form of desire, a kind of itch feeling, a bit like the desire to drink more alcohol than we should or eat more chocolate than we really want. It's compulsive We want more of what doesn't really satisfy us, which in this case is information. What we're really looking for is comfort. We want to know what's what so we can make good choices and reassure ourselves we'll be safe. But the more we look into, the more confusing it is and the more unsafe we feel. We're better off, according to the mystics, acknowledging, accepting and allowing the feelings that we hide from ourselves. This probably sounds crazy, but I think I'm a bit in love with Jung. Carl Jung was a Swiss psychiatrist and a friend of Sigmund Freud's in the early part of the 20th century. He is a giant of modern psychology, and in my opinion, the greatest mystic of his time. Imagine a tall man, formally dressed, perhaps in a tweed suit and waistcoat. He has round glasses and a pipe, which he puffs on as he listens. His blue eyes have a gaze that miss nothing, and invite everything. Let's walk into his book-lined study that smells of sweet tobacco. There are leather armchairs around a fireplace. I take a seat and explain the problem. Ah, he says, the tension of the opposites. Not good for the immune system, I believe. Yes, but I want to come back to that in a later episode. He nods and begins to explain. By keeping quiet, repressing nothing, remaining attentive and by taking things as they were and not as I wanted them to be. By doing this, unusual knowledge has come to me. Amongst this knowledge is what you are looking for. To escape the tension of the paradox, we must be willing to change our perspective Inasmuch as man, or woman, can tolerate the paradox of conflicting truth, he or she will attain inner peace. Indeed, as much as human beings can tolerate conflicting truths, the world will attain peace. So the work of one person in this regard serves all persons in this regard. I look at him trying to absorb what he's just said, Let's imagine that before us is a view, so wide it stretches to the far horizon. But it is full of contrasting images. In some people are gardening in the sunshine, in another people are dying. But only a slice of the scene can be photographed at any one time, stimulating the psyche into ease and dis-ease, ease ease and dis-ease like a swing. If we imagine the psyche, we find the setting to be fixed on a portrait view, which can only contain one image. To embrace the paradox, we must find our panoramic setting and allow all experience and all facts to be in view at the same time, without the need to control or capture any one truth. Something in me shifts. It's subtle. I'm going to need to ponder on this. I thank him. Sorry to have to leave. But I had the rest of the podcast to write. He nods. And though he doesn't say anything, I know I can go back any time. Jung was not a master of plain English. His real words were much more obscure than I represented him here. Though I've tried to stick to how he might have spoken. But what he was like, I feel pretty sure of. When I read his biography, I felt I was in the company of someone I knew and deeply trusted. When I finished, it was like parting from a friend. I wonder how to put this knowledge into practice. I start by putting it into my own words. How would it feel to be okay with not knowing? If I can be okay with not knowing, I contribute to the general sense that things are okay. Hmm, how do I remind myself of that? I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. I wish it had not happened in my time too. But since it has, I am resolved to restrict my consumption of the news to 15 minutes every other day. And I'm sorry if this is a bit silly, well, you've got to laugh, not least because it's a great antidote to fear. So here's my 30 second hand washing song that will keep me virus free and I hope remind me of what Jung said. K. Sera, Sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not as to see. K. Sera, Sera. I don't know if you remember how we started My inner critic and my creator self Were having a ding dong That was giving me a headache They are up that hill now Having a picnic Enjoying the view They're not quite friends But it's a start This podcast was written by Henry Lang And produced by Jessie Hazelwood Thank you to Fleetwood Mac Wide Waters Doris Day Endless Forms Eric Satie And Philip Glass For their beautiful music For more practical ways to develop the subtle senses and tune into the home of the self, go to allthemysticsandme.com. Next time, we'll take a look at the physiological and social consequences of fear and discover what antidotes lie in the mystic treasure chest. It's great to get feedback, so please let me know your thoughts, even just to tell me I've got it all wrong. Download the Anchor app, find all the mystics and me, press the message button and let it flow. Until next time time that has gone, take me home, return me out to my center.